0: Okay, everyone, welcome Thursday night class. We're starting a new discourse this week, a new mimer. Um, this is in the next week's Pasha, Pasha's Pinchas. I don't feel bad about that. First of all, why would I feel bad about learning anything? But um, it's in Eretz Yisrael, it's Pasha's Pinchas this week. It's amazing that we we we, we got um, separated from Israel reading Stolen Pesach. And there were so many opportunities in which we could have caught up, but for some reason, it remains that way since Pesach. That's What is that already? From Nisan to Ir, Ir to Sivan, Sivan to Tom's already three months and where we are one week behind Israel. We're only going to catch up next week. By us, it's going to be, not next week, in two weeks. By us, it's going to be Pinchas next week, and by Israel, it's going to be Matos. And the following week, in Israel, it's going to be masse, and for us, it's going to be matos masse, and that's when we catch up. That's really interesting. Um, so this week is, in a sense, it's 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 Parshas Balak, but it's already connect. We're connected to Pinchas too. This mimer is a Lakuti Torah Pinchas. The simple reason we're learning Pinchas, not Balak, is because we learned already all the discourses on Balak, but we did not learn. This is the last mimer in Pinchas. That we still have to learn. This mimer is also not an original mimer. It's an explanation. It's a beer on a, on a uh, another mimer on page one fifty two, in Lekutit Torah daf Ayin Vav Amit Gimel. Um, okay. <laughs> Even President Biden knew that that uh, his speech writers know, that, um, that we're not on the same page like with Israel. Because <laughs> when he gave his speech, I didn't listen to it, but so on, it was written, I saw him, it was written up. He, he mentioned that Jews, are, Jews in America are reading, that's what he said, Jews in America are reading Pasha's Bullock this week. Where it says, in Am Lavadad Yishka, the Jewish people, Jewish nation are alone. I think he was trying to say that as long as you know the the U.S. is is around, Israel will never be alone. But uh, notwithstanding <laughs> Biden saying we're not alone, we are still alone, <laughs> but alone on the on the high level, not on the, not not on not not uh, left out. But in any case, I just it was just very interesting that whoever wrote his speech was, thank God, nuanced to realize that in Israel and the Parsha is not the same all over. In any case, we're going to learn now the Mimer for Parshas uh, Pinchas. Now, this is a really fundamental discourse. The Mimer itself we learned a couple of years ago. It's the first Mimer in Pinchas. This is the second, this is the beer on it, which basically is the, generally as we explained many times, a beer is always the Kabbalistic uh, inner works of of the of what's the background or the back end information that that um is behind behind uh behind the discourse in the discourse discusses the the daily sacrifices that are offered in the temple of the base Migdash. Because in Pasha's Pinchas, we have in the middle of the parsha that's actually the the latter half of Pasha's Pinchas, deals with all the um, communal sacrifices that there are in the temple, in the Beis Amigdash. And it begins with the daily every day, which was 365 days of the year. Every single day, there were two sheep that were offered, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. Then on Shabbos, there's what's called Musaf, Musaf means additions. So in Pashas pinhas Pinchas, it goes through all the additions that you offer on special days. Shabbos, Rosh Chodesh, New Month, Holidays, so on and so forth. Um, so in the beginning, before it starts talking about the the additions, the Musas, it talks about what mentioned, the daily sacrifice. And it says in the verse, it says, Hashem speaks to Moshe whatever, Speak to the Jewish people. My car by my bread. In the original discourse, the altar rabbi poses a bunch of questions. Um, we're not going to discuss that this week, all those questions. Instead, we're going to leave that for next week. Because the part of the discourse that we're going to learn today is just a fundamental idea. And it's not yet discussing the verse. It's not discussing the psukim at all. It's just talking about a concept that is at the foundation, the core foundation of that discourse, that this is an explanation on, is a core, elementary, very important concept. And um, in Hasidic literature, this mimer, that this is an explanation on, is a very fundamental mimer, because it has a very fundamental idea that is explained over here, This is the main reference for that idea, although you'll find short references in other places. But the main core introduction of this awesome idea is in that discourse. And that very idea is what he's elaborating on and explaining in today's piece that we're going to learn. Now, like it is many times when it comes to the biurim, is that they're written, meaning the biurim is the explanations on the discourses. They were written a little bit more cryptic and a little bit in in, in short, not as elaborate. So, um, Baruch Hashem, I was having a hard time with it. I remember attempting this other years and kind of like giving up in the middle. Um, the, the the so the good part was that just before I found, I, I mean. It's not that I found. It's, it was pretty obvious. In the back of this holy book, Lakuti Torah, there is a very, very good glossary or whatever they call it, the notes. And over there, they tell you where else this discourse is, other versions and so on and so forth. But This mimer is also in the Siddur because we say this passage about about the daily sacrifices, we say it every morning in our morning prayers in the part called Karbanes. Um So the Altarebbe, when he... In the Siddur, that the Mittler Rebbe, the son of the Alta Rebbe, compiled of his father's discourses explaining davening. If you remember a few months ago, we learned a discourse about Mizmalatoda, all about the Karban Toda and all that. Uh, that's from the same book, the Siddur. So over there, there's the same mimer. Over there, both the mimer and the explanation of the mimer are both to be found in the Siddur. But being that over there, it's the Mittler Rebbe's notes that he took. Uh, in the in the Lakuti Torah, it's some other writer, not necessarily maybe the Bautarebbe's brother, the Maril, or someone else, obviously a great person, maybe Rapinchis or Pinchas or various others uh, writers, uh, recorders who record. This one is from the from the Mitlareb. The Mitlareb's style was always very elaborate. And for that reason, when you find the discourse that it's hard to understand because it's very very concentrated. When you read the Mittal Rebbe's version, you get a lot of fill-ins that are missing or that you don't see, and it helps out a lot. So, thank God, today I found this version and I started reading it. And there is a third version. It's not a third version. It's another explanation the Altar Rebbe gave on his original discourse. A few weeks later on Pasha's Veschanim, the Altar Rebbe gave another explanation on the, it's like, almost like an idea a very like powerful epiphany, was the kernel of the original discourse and then it's sitting in the Alter Rebbe's mind for a few weeks, I'm not going to creep into the Rebbe's mind, I don't know, but it seems like it, and like a few weeks later he's still chewing on the concept and the idea and he elaborates and therefore brings an explanation on it. Like it is in everything we study and learn, even we can't compare it to the Alter Rebbe, but that's the way Seichel works. You have an idea, and the, and the idea sits, and you it, it, it develops. So there was another explanation. And when you read all three explanations, the version over here, then the second version over here, plus that other discourse that's not even, it's in the Sefer Tafkof Samache, and you bring them all together, it starts creating a very, very, very broad, clear picture. So what is the, what is the thought, and what is the kernel, what's the seed that we're going to be discussing? What is the awesome idea is the power of being physically alive in this world versus being a soul in heaven. We know that exhilarating experiences in heaven are so incredibly exhilarating and pleasurable and fulfilling and life is so elevated and so pure and so good and so rich and so satisfactory. Down here, life is full of trials and tribulations and difficulties. And we know, however, that in the world to come, when I say world to come, I'm not talking about after Mashiach. When I say world to come, I mean world to come for a soul when it leaves the body. Gan Eden, paradise as you would call it, or the Garden of Eden, spiritual Garden of Eden, where souls go after they depart from this world. Um, Although it is a world of such enlightenment and um, enrichment, but you can't produce anything there. You can only reap the benefits of what you produce down here. It's a world of enjoyment, but you only can pull from your account, whatever was you put away for retirement. (laughs) That's it, you're living off retirement. You're not producing anything. You're just drawing. (laughs) You're drawing your funds. You're drawing from your retirement fund. Um, Where do you actually create wealth? you create wealth while you're physically alive in a body that everybody knows and that the sages say hi everybody knows everybody should know that's the basis of it's one of the basic principles in Judaism that uh, it's when we're physically alive when we have free will that's one of the reasons because over here we have free will we can choose this way or that way and therefore what our choices are are meaningful and here is where we can actually fill our accounts, meaning our, fill our spiritual source with godly light. And then over there we receive the great light and revelation, which can't, which can't reveal itself down here while we're in our bodies, at least not until Mashiach comes, because our phys, the physical is too coarse and too dense for us to be able to be sensitive and experience such awesome light. So we have to like uh, divest ourselves from the body, unclothe ourselves and go to a place where we're pure and clean and ready to absorb. Now, that's not a novelty of the discourse. The novelty of this discourse is is that it is going to give a much deeper understanding of why the dynamics, the dynamics of this world is one in which we can produce. And he's going to introduce this concept, and let me share this idea, is that in the spiritual worlds, things cannot change. You are who you are, and you are forever who you are. That's it. You're set in stone. Whatever you come out into that world in, that's where you are. There is no makeover. There is no changing of, of being. The world is very set in concrete. You want to make sure that when you leave after 120, we leave this world, uh, you're, you're in a good place. Because then you're like set in a very good place. And it doesn't mean that there's no growth. There is growth, but it's just a relative growth. It's a, a, an expansion, slow, slow expansion, but there's no radical change. Nothing can change radical. In our world, you can move things around by the snap of the finger. You can transform yourself from the epitome of darkness to the highest epic level of light. You can come from the deepest darkness. You can lift yourself up from being extremely low, coarse, dense to very high levels of refinement. You can lift yourself up from being, God forbid, evil and become good, incredibly good. Because over here, there's this, and that's what he's going to explain. What is it about this world that allows for this, that transformative uh, abilities that we can only do when we're physically in the world? So he's going to explain the deeper understanding why things are, you know, usually if if you're coming from a low place to a high place, it takes a long time, it's a gradual ascent. If you're extremely this, person who has extreme views like this, usually don't turn over overnight and have complete opposite views comes through a, a process. You know, you study, you learn, people introduce new ideas to you, slowly your v- worldview changes, you start seeing the world differently. It's a process. How can a person have such a, me- it's really through the that's the power of tshuva. The main to- the main idea that we're talking about is the power of repentance and tshuva, which pu'a means instant, instant metamorphosis, instant transformation. And we, And as long as we're breathing in a physical body, we can still do that. Because there is some intense, incredible, magical, we would even call it, divine power that is only present in this world that we can tap. And as a result of tapping that infinitely potent power, we can make this complete shift in an instant like that to change to change our state of existence once the soul is in heaven. To take 500 years to move a couple of a couple of uh, you know a couple of couple of stations. You're on the uh, over here in this world. You're on the express train. Over there, you're on the local, the local, the local, stopping by each station and slowly inching your way. The very, very painstakingly slow process. Because there, they don't have access to this. T- on the one hand, it's far more spiritual. But the potent energy that can change things from completely only accessible in the physical is going to explain why that is. Here we go. In next, it says in the past, so what I'm going to maybe do, let's see how let's see how comfortable I am with the discourse itself or how or how quickly I'm going to flip over to learn in the sitter. We're going to maybe go from here to there because I feel like I'm, I wasn't planning to learn such a big piece today. And maybe we're going to learn and then add in some f- read the longer version because over there it, it'll there's so much more explanation. I don't know if I'm ready because I only read this quickly one once. I don't know if I'm ready to insert all that commentary on my own without reading it from inside. So we'll see how it goes. In Iksiv, it says in the the Pasuk, La'avda u'lishamda. La'avda means, this is a, let's go back to a, this this is a verse that's referring to Gan Eden. Gan Eden, the creation of man, I'm sorry. All the way in Genesis. It says that Hashem created man. And what did Hashem do? HaShem put um, Adam and Eve. And he put them into, or first he put Adam. And then later, uh, Eve was actually created in Gan Eden. But Adam HaRishon was first. HaShem put him into Gan Eden. To work the garden and to guard the garden. So on the simple level, it means that he made him the gardener. You know, the caretaker of the garden There's a garden and he was in charge. And part of the job of the gardener is to protect. As we know, they can sometimes be, uh, you know, um, you have to spray the the plants uh, because certain destructive insects can come. Or you have birds that sometimes destroy the crop and you have to put up a skier, scarecrows, whatever they are um and or you have to just be careful from thieves that can come and steal things so you need a you need a you need a watchman and you also need someone to guard so adam god appointed man to be the caretaker of the garden both in the positive development of the garden and also in the protection of the garden now that's as long as we were talking about a physical garden once there's no more physical garden meaning we don't have access to the whatever that Garden of Eden was when Gashem put Adam in because man was banished from there. Our only accessi- accessibility to the Garden of Eden comes when the soul goes out of the body and the soul goes up into the spiritual world and over there it accesses the garden. So what kind of protection and 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 uh, and uh, and guarding that we have to do to that garden. So what we're going, what he, the, the Altareb explains is actually just like a garden, a physical garden, if you leave it, if you neglect it, it will maybe produce, but it won't. It will be you can see you can see it's everything is, everything is uh, looks neglected. It's just full of weeds and full of, you know, you might see a couple of wildflowers grow around over here and there, and some some uh, leftover things that were growing will still grow. But everybody knows that a garden that's carefully tended to is way, 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 way far more beautiful and, and uh, productive, if you can say, and produces all the flowers or fruits or, or vegetables on a far more uh, uh, advanced way than without that. So the same is also when it comes to the spiritual garden of Eden. Um, the garden of Eden in heaven in the spiritual worlds Needs a caretaker, and who's the caretaker? Man is still the caretaker. It's just that man. What and, and where do you take care of it? Not the soul in heaven. The soul in heaven enjoys the garden. He's not the planter. He's not the gardener. He's the visitor who comes into the garden. You know, you go visit the, the Huntington Garden. So you know, you have the people that walk around and 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 with the with the, with the broom, not the broom, but the sweeping thing. If there's a little, if someone dropped something, and they, you know, they put it in people that do janitorial work and people, the gardeners that come in there and work and do all that. Then there's the visitors who come to visit and just to stroll and enjoy. See the fountains, see all the beautiful the art that's there and that's in the places and then to walk and scroll and stroll uh, around and enjoy the, the various different amazing uh, places of the garden. So when we come onto that world, we're already the visitors in the garden, but the caretakers is when we're physically alive. Because when we're physically alive, We watch the Garden of Eden through our deeds down here. And we also make that garden grow. We work the garden. We bring forth its fruits. So how does that work? What that means is that the person himself creates the Garden of Eden. What does that mean? That the person is the one, the physical human being is the one that draws Gilead that draws godly revelation from the infinite one blessed is he. For it to be you see the main power of the garden is the of the garden of Eden is the power that makes everything grow. Now just like it in, in 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 a regular garden, there is the power that God put into the earth, and and the gardener knows how to how to draw that potential that's in the earth, and to actualize it by doing certain things with the earth. It's an art. By knowing how things work, you're able to and then planting things correctly and watering things the right way and knowing which soil for what and how to take care of various different plants and things like that. That's all bringing forth the potential that's in the earth. The earth, that, that power of vegetation that's in the earth is what's making everything grow together with the sunlight and the rainwater and, and, the, and the watering of it all together. But you need a caretaker that brings it out. So the same is also in the spiritual garden, Eden. The power that, that produces all the, all the delights that are there is the, the infinite one. It's God's God's infinite energy, but that infinite energy is way beyond the garden. To actualize, to to bring it from potential to actualization, to tap that abstract energy and, and draw it down into the garden. Because here's the thing. We all know that the power of vegetation that's in the earth is there in the earth and it's everywhere. And that power can produce bananas. It can produce um, peppers. It can produce watermelon. It can produce peanuts and almonds and 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 and, and, and jalapenos and, and avocados and 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 and, and, uh, and melons and uh, everything, or uh, corn and and uh, potatoes and uh, all the ve- vegetable and flowers and and everything. It, but, but I mean, and it, it that power is there. It's about harnessing it and bringing it out. So the same is also the infinite light, the infinite power of God. It's all there. The question is about harnessing it and bringing it into a state where it can produce something definitive. Because you can't enjoy something unless it's revealing itself in something particular. And that's the fruits of the Garden of Eden. It's an experience of something godly coming to you in a form of a, 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 an experienceable energy as opposed to the abstractness of the infinite that no one can enjoy. So we're talking about spiritual delights. We're not talking about physical veggies and fruits that they're eating over there, cherries and tomatoes and plums and peaches. We're talking about spiritual peaches, but the most incredible peaches like crazy California peaches, but like a million times more because they're not, they are, they are the 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 a delight of the divine but taking on a certain form that is graspable already by a by a certain being by a definitive being and that's the fruit and every soul gets different different fruits different experiences in that garden <coughs> but in order to activate that potential and to bring it down for that only a soul that's down here in the physical world can accomplish that. That's what he explains. the soul, draws draws down divine revelation. From the infinite one blessed is he. In order to be ganed. So I want to share with you, because in the back, he says, uh, he brings from a, a discourse from the from the 4th Rebbe, 4th Chabad Rebbe, Rebbe Shmuel, and Torah Shmuel, where he inserts, over here he says, look in Sefer Ur HaChayim, on this of the Lashamra. look in the Ur HaChayim, which is a book by Rebbe Chaim Ben-Attar. So why did I get excited about it? There's a million places that they tell you to look at. Why did I get so excited when I saw it? Because today is Ur HaChayim's yard site, today. And because of that, it would be very appropriate to read to you a piece of Arachayim. So we connect the Arachayim, which is like off the charts. Incredible. So let me go. I had it over there. I'm going to go bring it quickly. And I want to read to you the Arachayim. It's a really, really beautiful piece. Oh, here it says, "Aicha Hashem in Genesis uh, two fifteen, Bereishis Bay's Perik Bay's Pasuk Tezvah." Aicha Hashem ala Kim asa Adam, Hashem took man when He placed him Gan Eden in Gan Eden la Avda to serve to to work the garden or the Shabbat to garden. Says the Erachaim, Mashma Sakosav. The the meaning of the verse Yagid implies he agan tsaruch that the gun the garden needs a worker a shoimer, and it needs a guard the but the truth he says it, it seems like the the reality seems to contradict this what do you need to watch canadian what do you have to guard it from you have to watch it from thieves this this is this is this is totally ludicrous you know who which which are the thieves who are going to break into ganhana that you need to kind of protect the ganhana from the thieves what was the what, what was the work that the that the garden then needed talking about the garden where Adam was what kind of work he says if it needs a worker i love this question <laughs> After Adam was fired, he was fired from his job. God kicked him out. So doesn't say anywhere that he replaced it because no other humans that were let in there. So if it, if the Garden needs needs a gardener, who's been gardening that garden for the last five and a half thousand years, doesn't seem like there was anybody that was given that job that Adam that that Adam had and he doesn't have anymore. <laughs> it's however, you have to know everything that's here is only a comparison to the spiritual dynamics and therefore just like in our regular reality that we know earth needs you you need to work it and you need to plant and then you need rain in order to that it produces uh, um, um, food. And also, you also have to protect it from things that might destroy the plants. And, and, and can hurt, let's say, to the vegetation. The same is also about Ganadin. Today's days, Ganadin is the land of souls exclusively. There's no physical bodies that are hanging out in, in Ganeiden. It's a place where souls go. Kiang. Now, it used to be that our bodies were also hanging out in Ganeiden. It's, it's an interesting idea. What he is saying is that Ganeiden is a place. When our bodies were very refined and very, 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 very uh, sublime and very elegant, our bodies were able to live in that space. Of Gan Eden. our bodies were there and our souls were there that was adam and eve before they sinned after they sinned they're literally that we discussed this many times their physical bodies coarsened and they became really dense like our bodies today the bodies initially were far more refined and they once the bodies became dense automatically they were no more in the garden of Eden. It says when God kicked out Adam, it wasn't that he gave him a pink slip, fired from your job. Consequently, as a result of the sin, his body became coarse. And when you're coarse, you can't tap anymore that dimension. So he was automatically outside of the dimension. But, and, but So in order to go back into that place, it's only when the soul frees itself from the body, from the physical husk, and the soul is refined, is an elegant being. The a soul can go back, can go into Ganeid. So, because the bodies became coarse in these said. So, yes, that spiritual Ganeidin does need work, and it does need protection. But not the same type of work and protection that we understand, but on a far more spiritual level. kefiruchni in accordance to its... Refined to its elevated spiritual state. For instance, it needs rain. But what's the rain that rains in Gan Not physical droplets. HaGsham HaMuYuched law, The Geshem, the rain that is designated to water the garden. Or Eisek Torah is Torah study. Torah is the drops of rain. Moshe says that. Moshe and Parshas Hazinu, right in the end, in Deuteronomy, right at the end, Moshe, when he sings the song, he says, let my, let my teachings drip like raindrops. He's al let it drip like dew in Rasi. So you see the Torah is drops of rain. So the rain that waters the Gan Eden is, is Torah. Now, how do we activate that, those Torah, that spiritual rain to come down in Gan Eden and bring out the fruits? When we're down here and we study Torah in our physical bodies, even though we don't see it, we're activating the rain up there. And how about planting? That's the rain. But in order for a garden to grow, you also have to plant. The mitzvah that we're doing and that we do down here is actually planting seeds in the more higher spiritual parallel world up there. That a person does like the navi, like it's hinted to in the words of the prophet, ziru lachem plant tzedaka. So see, see, tzedaka is a planting. elat And even though the navi only mentions charity, only tzedaka as a as a seed, It's not only referring to tzedaka, which is charity. All the mitzvahs that are called like tzedaka. All the commandments he brings that the the sages say in Medrash, and Tehillim that all mitzvahs that people do, God plants that seed. You do a mitzvah, you're creating a seed, God drops that seed into Ganed. And to work it means it's a lot of work because you want to keep on doing mitzvahs and so on and so forth and the continuous diligent learning of Torah, learning Torah deeply, estaklos looking deeply in Torah, it's it's the mitzvahs observance constantly, and that that's watering the garden. And what's the protection? In order to protect it, that its its fruits and its uh, vegeta- uh, vegetation should not in some way be uh, ruined. But how how is it protected? It's when we avoid and don't do a sin. That's how we're guarding. Okay? We're we're watching the garden by not allowing hackers to get into ourselves. And that's when the Torah tells us how to avoid sinning. A person has to guard in order not to Uh, not to transgress, because if, God forbid, a person sins, even if you have a lot of plants and you have a lot of good stuff working, you're bringing in insects or various different things that are going to ruin the plants. I saw just an article, sadly, in Oregon. They're being devastated. The farms in Oregon are being devastated by locusts. Like it started last year was terrible, and this is like way worse. It's it's like a maca, like an Egypt. It's it's, it's, it's it's frightening what's going on in, in many, many, many farms. And it's coupled with a drought. It's like really terrible. Um, So you can see, you can plant, you can do all the work. But if you have, uh, whether it's locusts or you have other kinds of, other kinds sometimes of, uh, of, of some kind of a bacteria or some kind of another thing, and it eats it all up and destroys it. And this is what the sages say, that a sin extinguishes a mitzvah. It doesn't mean that because you sinned, mitzvahs don't count. What it means is that when you create godliness through the mitzvah, God forbid a sin can come and eat away at it. You, you produce a plant, but that plant could be, you know, by a counter-react, it can ruin it. And even though the sages say, that so the sage said that a sin can extinguish a mitzvah, but it can not extinguish Torah. Torah is a, a more powerful light, Torah study, which is unique from all the mitzvahs, And that can't be extinguished by a sin. So he says, doesn't mean that it won't a sin will not harm the Torah, the, the holiness of the Torah that the person produced. Call ikar at all. A frightening thought that it, it means that one sin cannot extinguish Torah, but a whole lot of sinning definitely does wreak havoc even on the spiritual lights and the spiritual plants that a person produced through Torah study. The <inaudible> person increases destructive behaviors, it causes destruction in the, in the Torah that they study. The <inaudible> And the lamp of Torah will become darkened. Okay. Now we can understand what it says: to serve, to work the garden, and to guard it, because our mitzvahs that we're doing down here is actually increasing the productivity. Like the same idea that we're learning over here. Increasing the lights of Gan Eden and our observance of the prohibitive commandments is protecting that garden that it shouldn't be destroyed. It's possible a person does a lot of mitzvahs and they build up enormous amount of productivity there, but when they get there, nothing is left because the locusts came in. And how do locusts get in? These are through the hacks that when we get hacked by all kinds of dark stuff that get into us, uh, that's, that's spiritual germs. That's no good, spiritual bacteria that can eat up the good stuff so now now he's going to say what's the difference between Adam in in, in the Garden of Eden and today in those days when God planted Adam in Gan Eden it's amazing in those days Adam Arisham would be able to see immediately the consequences of of his actions since Adam was physically in the Garden He could see that by doing a mitzvah, he he wasn't walking around planting corn in the garden. He wasn't planting tomatoes. He was meant to do mitzvahs in those gardens. But as he was doing a mitzvah, he was seeing spiritual, incredible, godly lights and trees growing out from the mitzvah that he did. Every time he would do a mitzvah, he would see this enormous improvement in the garden. He would also see that if he's doing something he shouldn't be doing, it's, it's causing harm to the garden. He was able to see it with his eye because he was physically there. He would see its effects. But after man was now expelled from the garden, it doesn't mean that we don't continue this work. He asked, remember earlier, who was hired? <laughs> Adam is still the caretaker. He's just physically not there. That's such a beautiful idea. It's God never gave us the pink slip that he hired us we're still working in the garden. It's just that we're doing it in a way that we have no clue that our actions are doing it. We know it from the books, but we don't see it visually. The only thing that was taken away from him is that we don't see how we are working the garden. But the deed, a soul that toils, that means a person who is toiling in mitzvahs and in Torah, Amal that toil ultimately is very beneficial for the person himself. Because on the spiritual world, even if you are long distance, even if you're far away, but your actions are still affecting in the spiritual realms, even though we're physically in a distant place. And the action and the and the effects of our actions are very, very effective on the garden fortunate are those who waited out And fortunate are those who in this world can already taste those fruits in Ganeid. I guess what he means is there are people who refine themselves so much that they're able to actually already benefit from their from the, from the Ghanan experience while they're alive because they're spiritually sensitive to be able to experience the lights of the Torah and mitzvahs that they brought into the world after the Arachayim already gave this whole incredible pirush that la'avda Lashamra means through positive mitzvahs and prohibitive mitzvahs which he seems to come up with on his own and that's how we're, he says after all of that I found that the sages said it already because the sages say La la'avda to work the garden through the positive commandments and to guard the garden through the prohibitive commandments so this was an original thought of his own. But after he said it, he says "Veshuv baliyadei my Afterwards, what? No, because this teaching, where is it from? It's in Tikune Zohar. So maybe the Aruchim had not yet come across this passage in the Zohar by the time he initially originated this thought, and then he actually found it in the Zohar. Vezeloshina laavda elo mitzvah to work the garden through the positive commandments, and to guard it, that's the prohibitive commandments. And their intention is similar to what we said. So we are already connected to the Holy Arachayim HaKadosh for today, which is really special. Now we continue. Now, based on what we just explained, now, what does it mean to produce the Garden of Eden? To produce the Garden of Eden is to harness an abstract, undefined energy and bring it down into a, a potential and, and actualize it. And every actualization means bringing something from a general state into a particular state, like we spoke earlier, harnessing the power of the earth and, making, and bringing it out to, to produce tulips, or to produce a sunflower, or to produce carrots, or to produce uh, celery, uh, each one. The earth is one big mix of celery, and carrots, and tomatoes, and potatoes, and strawberries, and, and, and everything, and sugar cane, and, and, and everything is there, meaning nothing is there. It's, just a, it's that nothingness that has everything, but as long as it's not, you can stick your head and lick the sand from today till tomorrow, Imagine that. You know the earth has got all the tastes. It's everything. So, you know, keep on nibbling on the earth. You know. You, know, you know, by eating earth, maybe you'll get some macadamia nuts. Maybe you'll get some <laughs> cherries. Maybe get some blueberries. You get some raspberries, get some plums, some peaches. It doesn't work that way because the earth is still, it's still undefined. It has to come out into something particular. So the same is also – let's take that idea and understand that that's what it means to produce the spiritual grenade. Hashem, God, is in self, he's undefined. So to try to like taste him, lick the infinite, you're not going to taste anything. To, 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 to get a, an experience of the divine, God has to reveal himself to you in a particular way in which he makes himself graspable and knowable, and that knowledge is the fruit. That's the taste. That's an awesome, exhilarating experience to the soul when it experiences the divine. That's what we activate in the mitzvahs. Through our mitzvahs down here, what we're doing, we're causing that, that pr- pr- potential nothingness to express itself into something, into the variations, into the gazillion, infinite types of variations that he reveals himself in the Ganed, in the Garden of Eden. However, he's going to say, that process involves an enormous experience of contraction. Because for the infinite to specify itself into a detailed particular is a is a a quantum leap. It's a complete and in order for that to happen, there has to be an enormous an enormous uh, restraint. An enormous contraction. The infinite has to hold back the infinite. And just express one facet of its infinite potential. What will that lead us to? An amazing teaching. An amazing idea. And that is that the underlying power. That is the underlying um, platform. For the entire spiritual cosmos, the spiritual world with all the delights. You know, the Eden is not a little place. It's an endless it's an endless garden. And with 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 levels and levels and higher gardens and higher and go, it goes on and on and on, literally without an end. As spectacular as our physical universe is, that the scientists are mind blown by it, this is like Incomparably more spectacular and beyond anything that we can ever even begin to imagine. We can't even imagine it in our physical minds. Yet, the underlying power behind it all, you would think, is the power of God's kindness. Because it's his kindness that is shared. No. It's actually God's enormous ability to contract, which is the power of God's restraining power, gavura. Because in order to be able to take from this infinite ocean, a tiny droplet, you need to separate the droplet from the ocean. And that takes an enormous contraction. Based on that, he's going to say, the entire olam haba, which means that entire spiritual exhilarating experience, its underlying power, is the power of Gevura, not Chesed. The power of contraction. And astounding to us, totally opposite of what we would think, where is God's Chesed flowing? Where is God's kindness expressed? That's the physical material world. The physical world, our material world, which we think is such a harsh world, where there's so harshness and such, so much judgment and so much difficulties and hardships. And therefore we would think that this world is the world of gavura, of in God's, you know, disciplining power and the the future world, which is full of pleasure and delight. That's God's kindness. He's going to now introduce the total opposite idea. Our world is the world of Boundless kindness. Here's where God flows unfiltered. the The world to come. That's based on incredible scrutiny. It's because its very initial energy is an energy of restraint, and always considering the restraint. What's the point of that constraint? We're soon going to see. It's always to measure the revelation in accordance to the vessel, to the container because the world of Gan is a world of revelation. And to reveal something to somebody, the person has to be ready. If, you, if they're not ready to it, then you're not revealing anything. You're just overwhelming them. So therefore, it's a very, very, very um, discriminate. Um, um, there is an enormous amount of scrutiny, discrimination, judgment. Every single tiny um, level, Is has to be approved because there has to be a a matching up of the energy to the recipient. So it's very, very strict. And because of its strictness, you can't move things around. Everything is very rigid and everything is very set in its place. You know, to be able to move from here to there, you have to submit a million forms and get thousand approvals <laughs> until you can get something through because everything is very very set yes once you're in a good place it's 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 a very 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 enjoyable endlessly enjoyable experience but each thing is very very organized it's a world that is enormously organized because it's a world dominated by the by god's discipline disciplining power versus the our world which is a world of pain and and, and hardship and difficulties that we all have and the lack of godly revelation and experiences. Precisely over here is is where the the kindness of God flows as he's going to prove. That will soon explain where do you see what's the kindness that's happening down here. But it's like such an opposite type of an understanding of the two worlds. So let's see. The sages say to us the world to come. Of this concept that the world to come. It's a very basis. Its entire the the underlying um, um, force is the power of contraction, constriction, and judgment and discipline. Is hinted to what the sages say that the entire world to come was created through which letter. God creates it and sustains it through the letter yud. What's the yud? A yud is the smallest letter of the alphabet. A yud is just a tiny point. And what does it represent? Enormous contraction. God contracts his infinite energy to a tiny little point. But that itself is what's required for any kind of revelation. Because without concentrating a tiny droplet, then nothing can be revealed. The whole experience. See, our world is a world where we're swimming in the most. <laughs> in our world, we're accessing in the physical world. We're accessing levels of the divine that we couldn't access in a billion years in heaven. It's just that we are. We have no clue that we're accessing. We have no clue that we are touching infinite lights. We have zero awareness of the fact. You know that when we're lighting Shabbos candles, we're touching. We're literally. Drawing down on God's pure infinite light that if we would see it would burn down, it would literally electrocute the cosmos. Yeah, we can go around like Shabbos, you know, and light the candles and go and sit down with a, with, a, with a nice newspaper and read the news. What's next? <laughs> but that's so cool about this world. You can be touching Shabbos, you know, the lights of, and, and, and nothing because it's not revealed. Because we're living in a world of density with things that are not really We can be wrapping tefillin. What does tefillin mean? What does tefillin mean? In the tefillin is God's brains. That's what it is. And when you're putting tefillin on your head, you're literally putting your brain and touching it to God's brain. You're literally, you're, 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 you're putting brain to brain. You're now downloading God's brain into your brain. Now, when you're having God's brain on your head, what should that do to you? We should be sick, literally, for a few months after we touch tefillin. Because we should still be shivering and shaking. How is it possible for us to wear it in and just put it on, take it off, and whatever? It's because we're clueless. And the idea is because over here, nothing is being revealed. It's there, but it's not being revealed. The world of Gan Eden is a world of revelation. There's no such a thing as touching something that is not being revealed. It ha- it's a world where every place you're in, you're becoming totally one with what you're experiencing. Oh, to be one with the divine, you got to be a real, you got to be a vessel for it. You can only take what you are ready for. And that's why the enormous, enormous scrutiny and an enormous, enormous demand that you be ready for it or else you can't have because of its revelation. And that's why it must start with a tiny little yud. Because anything but one little breakaway of a yud from God would be too overwhelming for finite beings. We don't care how how great these beings are. They can be angels, they can be the most spectacular spiritual beings, the most elevated souls, but it's still a finite entity. And therefore it can't experiencing the Hashem above the Yud. It first has to start from the Yud. That one little Yud, that little point is then, it first concentrates into a point, like a seed, and from that divine seed comes all the revelation to all the souls and all the angels and all the worlds. It's all from that breakaways or or little tiny point. That's what he explains. You <speaking> know, <in Hebrew> with the letter yud, the world to come was created. Piddish, what does it mean? Biyud. What is the yod? Simtzom ma'odah. It's a simtzom contraction. Nekudek tanash of the a tiny little speck of the Ein Sof. Sheein loysoi the Ein loykets, because the infinite one has no end and he has no no uh borders. the Etachlas and leis machshivit machshavat vise bekelal. No thought can ever grasp him. The ef shaliyashum hasagam. The a created mind can't have any grasp at all in him himself. And why would do we and with the grasp comes the pleasure? But since you can't grasp, you can't you can't enjoy. Leo is Tiny in order for there to be a pleasure of the souls, there needs to be a comprehension and understanding. And what can a finite soul comprehend? Only an energy that has already been. As we spoke earlier, specified and detailed, So ahan the So therefore, the, all the pleasure and the delight is not from God Himself; it's from a ray of Him. That ray is the is that one little yud. That little yud is the ray from which the souls can enjoy. Or commercial behidus And like we find. Now, if you try to look at something very bright, then it, you won't experience brightness experience darkness if you try to look at the sun you're going to destroy your eyes you can't look at the sun without a without a veil or if it's a very bright fire can't look at it you can't look at them because they're too bright the same is also regarding understanding or grasping In the infinite one, blessed to see himself. It is impossible to have any bit of of a grasp. Because he is so enormously bright. Because he hides in darkness. What does it mean? His brightness is so bright that it's considered darkness. Because it's too bright. And just like we said earlier when you look at something that is enormously bright it will create blindness it will create complete darkness so god, god is concealed in darkness which means a higher light than anybody can ever know only through a tiny little speck where hashem dilutes so to speak and and diminishes 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 Till you get down to one tiny little 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 ray, which is hinted to in that little yud. From there, there can be all the revelation and all the experiences of of all of all of all the spiritual pleasures that exist. <speaking in Hebrew> Look what it's discussed in the Maimur and Shira <speaking in Hebrew> But that's the world to come. Not our world. Not down here. The relationship down here is actually, over here, God's unfiltered energy flows. It's just that we have no clue that we're walking around with unfiltered light. The ray is only up there. saga. That's the olam That's the future world. There is a revelation of what, what, what's the experience of the world to come. It's where all beings have a experience of the divine through understanding, but to who <inaudible> to a mind to a created mind <inaudible> to have to experience pleasure in God, and that requires, as we said before, a enormous enormous watering down of it <inaudible> and for that reason he says. This becomes the the general attitude of everything that is in the is in that entire zone of the spiritual world. What's the attitude? It's all conducted based on a very, very, very um a very very um high expectations. Very Everything has to be earned. Everything has to be, you have to be ready for it. Everything has to pass a, a major test. If, 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 if you can be allowed into the next chamber, into the next world, are you ready for it? That's the idea of Nida Amidas Adina Kaushan. And it's, therefore, it's harsh judgment, very strict. Now, And that applies on the highest realms, all the way down to the lowest realms of the spiritual. And that's why when a soul comes to heaven and they have a lot of dirt, God forbid, or a little dirt or whatever it is, they have some major gook and muck attached to the soul as a result of undesirable things that the person engaged in in this world, which God said don't do, non-kosher stuff non-kosher stuff is cancerous to the soul literally it's, it's, it creates very very deep very dark stuff become etched in the soul the more a person engages in an unhealthy behavior spiritually unhealthy behaviors it, it 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 creates a lot of a lot of negativity in the soul so when the soul leaves this world and it hasn't repaired its repair yet because for whatever reason it didn't do tshuva. Soon we'll see chuva is like wipe everything off in a second. if the person failed to do churva and the person comes to that world with the stuff, ooh, it's like going for a deep cleaning to the dentist after you haven't cleaned your, brushed your teeth or done a thing for a couple of years. (laughs) I neglected going to the dentist for years. Just a while ago, I started going and they were very upset at me. Deep cleaning, oh my. And that's like a whole thing. So that's what goes on. And the dentist, the hygienist, is not kind. That's, let's just say. They're very, very thorough. And they don't care if you're screaming. They need to get the job done. They get the job done. That's the point. Because they know. See, it's also kindness. As the Mittler Rebbe explained, it's an incredible kindness that they're doing. They need to clean. They need to clean. Because yeah, you have to be clean. And the soul wants to be able to go into, start its journey into the spiritual worlds of pleasure and delight that it experienced the divine. The soul would, wants to do that. But if it's filthy, it needs, and therefore we know that the pain and suffering that the souls experience in in heaven is incomparable incomparably more brutal than the pains and aches and suffering that we have in this world. And it's not felt so much the kindness of it. It's not given in a soft way, it's given like with it's done whatever needs to be done. So the executors over there, the 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 the, the, uh, the the repairmen, they wear headphones. They listen to music while they do their work. You know, they don't hear anything that's going on. They just gotta get the cleansing going. <laughs> Sorry for being so dramatic, but that's just what's coming to my head. That's what he's saying. That's it's it's really that way. However, the beautiful thing about this world, it says, is that all suffering we have in this world. All times we go through hardships, it's actually done, God is being very delicate with us. Over here, the, the two reasons. Number one, even when we're going through rough things, it's being done with the least, I mean, sometimes it's rough, but it's, there's a there's a, there's a very gentle hand behind it, because this world in general is based on kindness. And more than that, a little bit of discomfort in this world goes an enormous, a long way of cleansing. It's like a small little brush, a little, a little brushing of the teeth over here, down here takes away way more gook than what what takes years and months or whatever of cleansing up there. And that's why it says that when a person gets anything rough and harsh in this world, if one is wise, has wisdom. We don't throw a temper tantrum. We actually say, thank you, God. I know that this is good for me. Because it's always worth it to get a little bit down here because a, a one pound of pay, pain in this world is worth a ton. Would have to be exchanged for a ton of, of ache and pain in the in the, in the in the, in the other side. Like explained in Svarim. Uh, in our world it says regarding it that our world is a world that's built on kindness which is not the case of the world to come over there things are very very demanding because all the suffering that we have in this world is called ava. it's called it's called the sages use a very interesting term that the suffering of this world in general is called tough love they're suffering but they're suffering that is coming from a very gentle loving place where God is loving, loving us the chesed, and it's a kindness. Why? Because suffering and the, the hardships that we have, they all purify. So when we have a frustrating day and someone was a little disrespectful to us, then we might be like, whoa, so angry that someone you know, told us off a little bit or we got someone shamed us or that's an emotional pain or we experienced some, some level of abuse and something. Or physically, we have a headache or we're not feeling too well or, or we've uh, had some financial loss or we got a parking ticket, right? <laughs> the, the, the ordinary annoyances, a parking ticket or the cops called pulled us over or uh, whatever. And, and, and sadly, even the bigger things. But Hashem should hope that no one should have to go through any harsh hardships. But even, even even the bigger things, which are like major painful things in this world, it's still much, 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 much better than having to purify up there. And the sages say so much that any bit of suffering in this world, if you stub your toe, and everybody's got that, you know, you forgot to put on your slippers or your shoes and you walk around your house and you hit your toe against something and before you know it, you're hopping around and you're like, you should always, okay, I'm going to confess to you, that that's that's one of my, uh, one of my thing, the moment if I stub my toe, and sometimes you really, it's like that jump. Yeah, you should train yourself that you're screaming. What, 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 what do most people do? They curse. They get. They get. They get angry because they got like this. They literally they curse. The natural reaction that we should train ourselves when we get out. We bang out. Close the finger on. Close the door. And you think, and it really you hit your nail. You know you have those, or you burn yourself in the kitchen or something. Your natural reaction should always be "Thank you, Hashem." Thank you, just to get the pain out of your head. Thank, thank, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, God. Because it's like enormous; it's enormous. Because then you're receiving it with love, because you know that it was, it was. This was like a, this was a kiss by God, even though it's tough love. It's tough love, but it's, it's, it's. If it's in this world, and the sages say even the most minor things. The sages say that when you buy the meter, and you want to take out a quarter, and by mistake, you pulled out a nickel. That's frustrating. That's already called cleansing. So when you a mistake, today's days, I'll translate into modern dimes. I mean, it is modern. Most people, you know, if you're still using coins by a meter, they don't accept any more nickels and dimes because everything is uh, whatever. But... But like the, the the situations when you go to pay for something and your credit card was declined, right? And you're in the store and you're like frustrated, that's like that's like a good one. <laughs> or or another one, uh, that you're looking for an email and by mistake you deleted it or something, like another good one. And these are all little frustrations. Or that you wrote something up and by mistake you deleted it and you can't found it find it after you worked hard. Right? So these are all frustrations. Every single one of these. Is an enormous goodness if you say thank you Hashem for it. And, and, and because it really is. Because any type of pain brings, is a cleansing. The Yasude and the frustrations and hardships that we have in this world, Ibud if it's, for example, a financial loss, the boy or a physical bane, where you banged your toe or something. It can't compare to the suffering of hell, of purgatory. Because the fire in this world is only a 60th of the fires of there, which means even even if you get a real burn and it really hurts, the the fires of purgatory, whatever that means, it's a soul, it's spiritual, it's not physical, but the bottom line is the ache and the pain of it is 60 times as strong. And now 60 times... Means twice as hot, three times as hot, four times. Each time you're at 60 times is pretty much. It's a lot. It's a very, very, very painful. And that which a person sadly would need to go through cleansing in the other world. Enormous amounts of that is deducted when you've had certain pains in this world. So every little, every little, small, little frustrating thing that happened, that happens, which is called frustrations and and, and in a way discomforts. I don't want to call some of these minor things. You can't really call it suffering, but... But, but, but they are frustrations and 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 and, uh, and these little aches and pains that come around in our life all the time even a mosquito bite that that is you know is itching and make driving you crazy so these little things do what they deduct enormous amount of, of of cleansing that is needed Imagine being able to avoid a root canal. You know, by just having a little, I don't know, taking a toothpick and giving a little thing. And they they tell, okay, you're done. You supposed you were scheduled for root canal. No, you're okay. No need. You're supposed to have an extraction of like three wisdom teeth. Eh, you know, you stub your toe, yesterday off, you're okay. The teeth are okay. And that's just a little example, like but that's a silly example. It's way it's a million times comparison. That's why a little bit down here is so worth it. It's so worth it. a and it's kindness. Which is not the case in the world to come. Over there, it's ruthless. It's ruthless to suffering. And the reason is because the fundamental attitude in the spiritual world, it's based on very, very, um, on, 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 on. Everything needs to be really qualified up there. In other words, everything has to work through the system. And if, on the higher levels, to move from level to level, you have to really be ready. And on the lower levels, to move out of dirt and out of darkness and to go through the therapies that are necessary, it's the full, there's no shortcuts. That's the point. No shortcuts. To do the entire the entire time that was allotted. show nivna this because the other world is built on an intense system of judgment. Hakasha, which is even harsh. That a wicked person has to go through all the purifications to eradicate the wickedness, which can be a very long, painstaking, incredibly incomprehensible suffering thing to, to purge that that wickedness. That, because in essence the soul is good, but because of the things that, you know, the, if you choose wickedness, then that wickedness and evil seeps into the soul. To extract it is an enormous uh, procedure. The calls and all of this, and that is all because it goes back to what we said at the beginning. Since the whole world to come is a world which is meant where everybody, God is shining to each creature and each being. Well, really, at the very core of it, it's obviously also a kindness because God wants to have a relationship with you and God wants to share his light and his enormous um, um, pleasure and enjoyment to delight the soul with the ultimate experience of the experience of the divine. But you have to be ready for it. So therefore, and again, because it's revelation, because it's revelation, Any level that you're going to connect to, you have to be able to own it. You have to be able to, you have to be ready for it. And for that reason, the harshness at the lower end is very harsh. Because the world to come, which is the revelation of understanding, the time of and the delight of the soul, it starts with, and it's based with, a powerful energy of gavura. Gavura meaning discipline, contraction, and tit for tat kind of a relationship. Not God forbid as a manner of God says, you did that, I'm getting back at you. No, you did that, you need to clean so that you'll be ready. Okay, now I'm going to say that uh, I want to, I told you I'm going to share with you from this book, so that's over here the, in the other version or the longer version, there is a very interesting um, statement that he makes over there that I, that is really really special, and it gives us a little bit of an understanding of this. He says that the the the, the punishments that we we the, the the rough the rough things that we experience in this life, the hardships, they come from God's gevura, but the gevura shebechesed there are Hashem's Gevura element that it it's the Gevura that's part of Chesed, part of kindness. In the other world, in Olam Abba, the general dominating factor is God's Gevura. And the punishments that are there. So, obviously... The 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 general chamber, the entire on what 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 sets the tone for the entire realm is gevura. The, the revelations that are there are obviously chesed she It's the kindness of the gevura element because it's a kindness that is very very detailed and very measured, and commensurate. It's commensurate to each um to each to each level as we spoke earlier now the punishments are also chesed. let's understand something the punishments in in the the purification processes that go through and for the souls up there are not god's anger and wrath and 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 for the sake of hurting the soul god forbid it's also kindness but again it's the kindness from a world where the general atmosphere is the is the is the atmosphere of gevura, and therefore even its kindness is intense. In our world, the general the general energy is one of enormous kindness. So even when we have a moment when we have a punishment and a hardship, it's gevura shebeches. It's the discipline with from within the ches. Now he says, the Gevurah from the Chesed is much kinder than the Chesed of the Gevurah. And he gives an example of two people. That's a beautiful example. You have people that they are the nicest people in the world. They're kind, they love people, they're just kind. And then there's like the moment they get upset. These very enormously nice people. And they have to tell someone off, or they have to be harsh. And they and they can't even do it. They have such a heart, they can't do it. And finally, when they do it, they like they say something, and they say it a little harsh, a little bit, a little sharp. But it's so gentle because they're so kind that even when they're being harsh and they're being punished, it's almost like a joke. They're they're because they're they they don't know anything else. They can't be they can't be mean or they can't be harsh. They're just incapable. Then there are other people that are very disciplining, very judgmental, very harsh people. We all know people like that. Very, very harsh and very. And to them, even when they're being kind, their kindness is far more stinging than the rebuke from the very kind individual. Did you ever see that? I'd rather have a rebuke from 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 the kind one than to have a nice chat with this very judgmental person who's going to say something nice, but even that niceness is going to be loaded with criticism all around, and it's going to be saying something nice. You realize, yeah, you have that. <laughs> uh, okay, everybody's going to know their nature. Uh, my uh, my build is very much from the world of kindness. That's just the way my my operation works. <laughs> so I know I, I teach. One of the things I don't do on YouTube, but I teach uh, a class in high school. For years, I'm teaching a girls' high school, so the Chabad girls' high school. So that's where I have to grade. So, you know, th- thank God the girls most of the times are really well-behaved, and they're very interested in the class. Even though high school girls can be pretty, pretty uh, distracted, let's just say, but they're usually very engaged, and it's very beautiful. But sometimes, you know, and because I'm a very, very, very light and soft teacher, I don't come in there with looking, you know, disciplining and all that's not. A, I, I don't have that, so it 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 can leave room sometimes for some girls to take the class very lightly and so on and so forth. So when it comes to grading, you know, there's A, B, C, or I, and I, we write it actually in it's a Hebrew class, so it's Aleph, Bez, Gimel, whatever. So you know one thing: if you get an Aleph minus by me. Another teacher would give a dollar. You know, if I'm giving an A minus, that minus, <laughs> that minus means you deserve a D or else you wouldn't get the minus. But that's as far as I go. Maybe B plus, you know. The other teachers, yeah, C, that, that's just their, it's just the the chemistry of people. Are people that are very, what you deserve, very strong and very they would go crazy watching me because they couldn't handle such such lightness. That's my my nature. Um, but but the Rebbe is saying that people that are, you know, they're even when they're harsh, or like some parents, they're very very. I mean, it doesn't work well, you know. <laughs> With kids, you need to sometimes be pretty disciplined. But if you're a very very kind type of a person, the your your harshest rebuke of your child is still like very soft and very loving compared to sometimes a very rough parent, even when they're being nice to the child and getting them an ice cream. I don't want to be there. (laughs) So he says that's the difference between. In this world is a world of kindness. Even when we're getting a harsh moment, It's like a very nice person being harsh. It's a little. Sometimes you might ask the question, come on. There's so much suffering in this world. There's so much pain, so much hardship. And based on this, you might want to say, oh, my. I thought when we get to that world, things are much better. Obviously, it is much better because once the soul moves on into the worlds of, of, of pleasure and delight, it's incomparably the experience. But the little bit of cleansing is not, is not a good idea. Let's put it this way it's not a good idea to put things off for of them. If you need to do some repair, it's very good to do it down here. As the sages say, make sure to do at least one day before you die. That's always a very good advice. And until you get to doing real good tshuva, if you get a little whacked around a little bit, don't throw a tantrum. Accept it. And and, 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 and again, the reaction should be thank you, because it really ultimately is good. Now, I'm not telling you my own stuff. I'm telling you what it says in the holy books. This is this is what we know. This is the way it works. Everybody can say your own ideas, but I'm telling you what has been. Handed down thousands of years inside information of people who really know what's going on. Okay. Now, okay. Um, we can say, is explaining this idea that the Yud, which is Chachma. Remember we said that the entire Olam experience, begins with that little yud which is a powerful contraction which is that inion of gavura now what is yud yud is chachma. chachma is the first we learned it many times chachma is the first the first epiphany of energy revealing itself from God but even though to the cosmos to the world Chachma is the enormous light it's the light of lights it from it comes it's the fountainhead of life of such enormous goodness and light but to god from the other side Chachma is such a tiny little crumb it comes after an enormous sensor <speaking in Hebrew> because even <speaking in Hebrew> which is the yud, <speaking in Hebrew> with with it the world to come was created <speaking in Hebrew> it's coming into being from the orange so from the infinite one <speaking> in while <Hebrew> Comes through enormous gevura, enormous constraint. It's some tumim and contractions. This is related to something we learned last week in the previous class. When I say I mean the previous class, I mean last week Thursday night. We were learning that chachma receives from keter, from the crown, only through a little hair follicle. Remember that we're learning cyrus to hear That's a tzitzis. Learning about those narrow strands of the tzitz is little tiny because beyond chachma is considered infinite. So to go from there it has to be, and that's Gevura. Sarah is here is gavura. So and and since the entire world to come, the entire spiritual Eden is all built from Chachma. Chachma is the seed, that means so that gavura is carries through through the entire, through the entire um olam haba world. Everywhere at the core of it is a lot of judgment. The sharsham and where is its source? The source of these here, megvura from the level, the power of tzimtzum the atik yoimin. Atik means of the ancient of days. That's the innermost of keter which is pure orange self. There's an element of gevura there. The gevura over there is the power to 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 contract that is enclosed in what's called the source of chachma which is called Moyachstima. we learned about this many times Moyachstima is the chachma of of keser of erech Ampin. in it is the gavura of atik yoyman pasha shalach there's an interesting mimer where he explains that um we we create these here. He says this two the word sar, which means a here, if it can be spelled with a shin, or it can be spelled with a sin. You know, there's two letters in the olive base that are both really the same letter, but shin and sin. The shin has the, the, the dot on the right side, and then you say shin, and if the dot is on the left side, then it's sin. But in the word shar, so if you say it with a shin, it's shar. Shar means an entranceway. And if you say it with a sin, it's sar, which is a hair. So what, what's the idea? The question is zaha shar lashan or zaha saar lashem. In other words, is God coming through an open big doorway or is God coming through a tiny little hair? So there in the Mimer he explains. If we don't care if it's going to be received in the vessel, then God can come through the doorway, a big, enormous doorway. But if we want it to go into the vessel, it has to come through a tiny little spout. If I want to pour into the cup from this thing of water, obviously, as you can see, which I'm going to do right now, <laughs> is it has to come through a narrow little thing or else it would be if without this and I would pour, okay, this is relatively I probably could pour without this narrowness up here, but if it would be a huge, huge bucket and it wouldn't have a little spout, it will just spill on over. So in order for it to be received, so the intention from Chachmen onward, the intention is that the that the receiver should be able to receive. So it has to come through a hair. And that's called sa'ar, the hair. If however we don't mind if it's going to flood, then it can come through the shin with the, the right side, shin, shot, And over there he explains that the difference between mitzvahs and Torah. Mitzvahs, we are drawing God's light down directly, not through the filter. We're flooding the world with infinite light. But it's, but it's, in, it's impossible to internalize. So on the one hand, the mitzvah is much higher than Torah. Because in a mitzvah, you're actually just opening up the infinite and allowing it to come as is in torah torah is coming through god's hair but precisely because of that torah is something you can absorb and take in that's what he discusses over there the difference between shar and sar but why is he using this because he wants to show you that the entire olam haba experience Gan Eden experience which is the garden of eden and that whole experience it all begins with an enormous judgment an enormous contraction God is judging the vessel if it can hold the light. That's that's the bottom line. And wherever wherever the person or being is at, that's what is given to them. And if you're and if you're an, at a level where you can have a, enormous light, you're given enormous light. If you're in a level that you can have less light, you're given less light. And if you're in a level you can have even even less light, you're given even less light. And if you're in a level that you can't have any light, so you've got to sit in the dentist chair so you can be a, you can receive light. That's the that's the that's the situation. You have to go for the cleansing until the vessel is clean enough and pure and ready and refined to be a vessel. As we said, uh, Connecting to this week's parish. The mimer on the Pasuk that Hashem did not want to listen to Bilam, but that statement actually is not in Parsha's Bolok. That's later in Parsha's uh, Kiseitze, where there it says that God did not want to listen to Bilam, but it's referring at least to Bilam, so it's this, this week's Parsha. In, in that mimer, he actually explains that we said earlier, we create Kanadin. So if we create Canadian, that means we have to create these hair follicles or else, what, what did we say, but how do we create Canadian? We draw God down from the abstract potential into an actualized particular light. So we have to create that, those narrow channels. How do you create those narrow channels when we're alive physically? Every time we contract for God's will, See, God literally mimics us. It's an it's so crazy how we decide everything. Everything we decide. We, we control everything. God is with us exactly as we want as we decide Him to be. And therefore, when in our life we don't allow our energy to spill over all the time. We don't allow our own expansiveness to always be. But when, our, when we meet a situation where we need to contract, when we need to hold back, when we need to like um, restrain, And we rise to the occasion and we contract. Let's say we want to sin and we don't sin. Or we want to whatever. Or we don't want to do something and we push ourselves and we contract our whatever. We, it's the, but mainly it's the, it's the restraining. When we restrain, spiritually it causes the energy, the infinite light of God also to restrain to the benefit. Because only when it restrains can it trickle, a tiny little trickle. Of light to come down. So we need to create that contraction as well. The arousal from below. In order to bring about this yud, in order for that there should be, that Hashem should dilute his infinite energy down to a yud. Through a person contracting themselves. When we surrender our will, what's will? Will is like an a a a a expanding energy i want something i want i want to like spread and 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 expand into something because i want it and i say no so i'm 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 compressing I'm that compressing compression goes a very long way for the benefit does that what did we say earlier God put us in the Garden of Eden, and still today we're in the same job. We haven't been dismissed. It's just physically we're not there, but we're really still working the garden. What does it say? He put us in the garden to work it. It uses the word avoda. Now, in Hebrew, the word avoda means labor. And labor is only called labor when you're going against your will. When you're doing things you want, it's not labor. Laborous is when it's hard and difficult that you're overcoming. Any kind of work that is like full of joy is not labor. Labor is when you're not you're not in the mood, you don't want to, that's labor. And in the service of God, yes, it's important labor. Because even though we should be happy doing mitzvot and doing godly things, but according to, to really serve God, it always requires that we push ourselves a bit beyond where we're comfortable. To give charity, to give a little bit more than we're comfortable. To study Torah, the study a little longer than we would want and the altar says that's the secret of 101 you know you kind of feel complete when you did a hundred you did a hundred laps in the pool ah uh-huh. like everybody you set yourself well yourself you said i'm going to do a hundred laps you know 100 laps. By the Time you're getting to 95 you're huffing and puffing huh you're almost dead but you're done. you got the 100th 100th lap you're like Hush. and you're ready like ah i'm done and if you can just you know what to break that. I'm doing 101. <laughs> and that 101, that's like more worth than all the hundreds because it was so difficult because that's not, it's not, you're already complete with the 100 101. Well, the altar of the speaks about over there that people who used to study their study, not 100 times, they would review 101 time, And then you're called your serving. So you see that service has to do when you go beyond your will. When you're serving God, when you don't want, you're overcoming your will, which is a contraction. Contraction of will. Because by the time you finish learning a hundred times, your will is to go learn something new or to close the book altogether and do something else. And now you're holding back that will. You're compressing that will. That's what's creating God to compress His infinity and shine out a tiny little light. As explained the concept of serving God, in Tanya, chapter 15, where he talks exactly this thing, that you're not considered serving God if you're not pushing your limits. You're only serving God in what you're comfortable with. It's not That doesn't really count too much. Serving him is always to overcome where you're, to, to, to challenge the animalistic nature in us. And the more, and therefore the, the altar Rebbe Tanya says an amazing thing the greater you move in your judaism the more you you you, you move in your refinement and your connection to god there is never ever time for relaxing because each level you attain you got to push yourself higher beyond that and that's the work of this world it always involves breaking breaking the breaking the 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 limits or that's why he also says, when in the Passoch, when the verse in Tehillim speaks about the enormous goodness that there is in the, in the world to come, the enormous goodness, it says, Whoa, King David says, how awesome is the immense goodness, Ashet that you have hidden, stashed away, to those who fear you. So the Altar Nebuchadnezzar says, why does he use the term Ashet Tzofanta? Safanta comes from the word Tzafon, which means hidden. It also means the north. The south is called Daron, and the north is called Tzafon. Why is the north called Tzafon? I think the reason is because in the north, the sunlight is more hidden. Meaning it's it's more dark, colder, less sunlight and so forth. And spiritually, it's because darum South is the energy of Chesed, kindness. And North is the energy of Gavurah, discipline. And it's explaining, that's why it says how, whoa, how great is your kindness that you have hidden. But the deeper meaning is that you have put in the North. Because in order to give goodness to the creation, Hashem has to filter it through the north, which is Gavur. It's only through the power of tsafun, which is the north, that it can be it can be ready to be received in the vessels. Only through that can there be a revelation in the world to come. Because without fear, which is the idea of Gevura, without fear, in Chachma there is no wisdom. Chachma is the light, is the revelation, is the epiphany. But what has to precede it, contraction, which is the fear. And Yira, Gematria, Gevura. Now he says Yira, which means fear, in Hebrew, is Gematria, its numeric value is 216. See, Yud and Resh is 210. Aleph and Hay is 6. Gevura is also 216. So therefore, because we understand, Gevura produces Yira. Yira fear and Gevura go together. But when it says, em ein Chachma, em ein Yira, If without fear there is no Chachma, since Yira and Gevura are interchangeable, it's as if it would say, em ein Gevura, em Chachma. That means that the yud is based on a powerful Din, on a Gevura. That's what creates the Chachma, which is the yud. And, and what's givura? Givura is a kovish. Kovish is what? To restrain. So every revelation of God to illuminate vessels and containers requires more than anything else restraint. He just added over here, it's our restraint that we do in our life that helps God restrain or that triggers God to restrain, which ultimately we need or else we have no revelation from it. It's like the earth. That is not being harnessed. You're not pulling out the individual powers of the earth. You have to draw out the individual pleasures of the divine through this narrow little crumb. And that requires the contraction. Now he continues. That's why the verse says in Ashrei in Psalm 146, I think it is, or maybe 145. Where it says we say it every day in Ashrei. What does it say? Like Diyah, to notify adam to people of God's strength and the and, and the and the glory of His majestic kingdom. So they say, saying an amazing teaching over here. In order dia adam, in order to notify to people anything of the divine. In order for people to experience, the humans, to experience that, the only way that can be is Gevur God has to contract enormously. And then after he contracts, then the glory of his majestic kingdom reveals itself. So the majest, majestic kingdom of God that is revealed in the spiritual Ganadans, in the higher world, where everybody experiences the, the majestic beauty, the infinite majestic beauty of God, um, that comes after the the contraction, which is the k'vod that dar is ziva It's a ray of the shechina. heim This requires an enormous amount of gevura. shaheim which are contraction. the which enables the energy to, to evolve from level to level to level from world to world, from chamber to chamber, and each time being modified and adjusted. The whole point is that adjustments are being made and equivalent to the compatible to the receiver. That's God is dealing with everybody compatible to the receiver. And that attitude to re, to deal compatible with the receiver is the attribute of judgment. Who are the receivers? He explains. Malachim, there are angels, when the Shammai send, there are souls, and each one has a different experience, in accordance to its vessel, and according to its container. Ein one angel is not compared to the other, each one has a different perspective, each one has a different delight, and a different pleasure, how godliness is filtered into their consciousness, into their experience. For example, now each one individually, and also they're also set into groups. That means, in general, the entire group is in one category. But within that category, each individual one ha- is nuanced in its own way. It's like when you go and you see a, a rose garden. In general, they're all roses. But when you take and look individually, you'll see that each rose has its own beauty and its own, its own unique unique element to it. But still, it's all roses compared to the other ones that are, um, you know, a uh, uh, complete different type of daisies or a different type of flower. So Machne Michael, the entire camp of, of Michoel, the Archangel Michael, Ba'ava, their primary experience of God is love. Dafk. Machne Gavriel, Gabriel's uh, uh the angel Gabriel, his 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 camp, Gabriel's camp, They tremble in all dafk. The aim amas Michel, Ba'ava. They don't have the love of Michoel in love, like Ava even though the angel of the angels of Gavril also have a kind of love, they're not only fear, but it's a complete different experience of love. It's in a whole different stage. Are you gonna ask a question? They're all receiving from the infinite one, from one singular source, an indivisible source. God is not made up of pieces. So they're receiving from one singular pure light. How is it that everybody is so different? And the answer is. If they were to be experiencing God himself, that would be, then then, yeah, it would all be the same. But since God himself is unexperiencible, because he's pure and undefined with any definitions and is infinite and beyond any, and even no thought can grasp him, he needs to emerge into definitions. And when he emerges through that little tiny little ray, through that little pinhole or into it, once he emerges outward, that, that already is already just a ray and it comes in, in a gazillion different prisms and different ways of reflection to each creature and to each being. Similar to the soul that's in the body, we also find the soul is an, indiv- an indivisible source of life. The soul is not even made up of different pieces. It's one source, one powerful living entity. Yet the various organs of the body receive from the soul different nuanced energies the eyes have the power of vision right and the mouth has the power to speak the eye can't speak and the mouth can't see each one is unique even though it's one indivisible soul so same as also with the in when hashem's light once it's already filtered through the filter it already all receiving from the infinite one blessed to see the power of the soul that is spreading in the limbs. In the soul itself, there is no division. Nevertheless, the power of vision, the eye receives. And the power of hearing, the ear receives. And the eye doesn't receive only a particular power. This that the eye absorbs is the power of vision. And the eye does not receive any and The eye does not receive any and the eye doesn't receive any type of comprehension. And the seichol and the uh, hasaga is in the Mochen. The ancient Kayachariya. Hagashmias. But the power of. The power of. Look who's here. The ancient Kayachariya. And the eye does not have the power of vision. Um, the intellect. I'm sorry. The mind has. The eye does. But the mind doesn't have the power to see. The mind has the power to learn, and understand, and comprehend. And the ear can receive, is able to, you know, connect, or, or channel, or um, uh, tune into the power of hearing. There isn't two that are similar. And that's how they're all. Don't you love when this happens? He says, "Look in the parsha Shalach, In the explanation of the maimer v'hoilachem that's the maimer we learned last week. Isn't that beautiful that we find that he that he's so now you can say we learned it. He tells you, "Look and learn." We learned it last the last three weeks. We were learning this discourse, the beir v'hoilachem litzitzes, me'in yisichliyim nevdalim. Where over there he explained the concept of individual. S- and, and, um, the nisham, the angels are called nivdalim, beings that are nivdal. They're separated one from each other by their seichel, because he explains over there that you know we physically exist in time and space, so we can differentiate one 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 from each other. In this, I'm here, you're there, you're you, I'm me. But when you're dealing with spiritual entities that have no bodies, what makes one be one and not the other? And the answer is based on how they understand. The consciousness, how they, what their comprehension is. And there aren't any two that have the same comprehension. That's what we learned in the last minor. So that's connecting to this idea that since it's coming through this little yud, every single one is set exactly how its experience needs to be. However, in our world, in our world, What's the chiddush in our world? The chiddush, the novelty of the of the physical world over here, is that in the physical world there are two reasons why in the material physical world all these rules don't apply. And in the physical, while we're still physically alive, something that is utterly dark and disconnected and lowly and farthest away from holiness can, act, can radically transform itself like this. doesn't have to go through an endless process. Why? Because the energy of this world is not that disciplining energy, we're ener- we're, which sets the rules that every every energy has to fit the vessel, that the vessels need to be commensurate with the energy. In our world, we are we we have access for two reasons. We're going to see. One is because of the lights that are are available in this world, the on the energy level, the lights that are available in this world is a level of the divine that doesn't lend itself to this or to that. It's above it all. And therefore, it has no rules and regulations. And for that reason, it can be here and totally opposite at the in an in, in instant. It's once the divine energies already set themselves within the system, systemize itself within a certain system. then that system is unbendable. The system is, you can't bend. But on the levels of God, where God transcends all definitions, for that reason, that that power is omnipotent and it can, it can radically change things from the darkest to the brightest. A person can be the most wicked person in one minute and be the most righteous individual a minute later. That's the enormous power that there is in the world. That type of energy does not, is not at all accessible once the soul leaves the body and enters into the realms of the spiritual. There, it's the most organized, systemized, definitive state. That is because of the energy. And then there is also because of the, because of the vessels because of us, because of the material of this world. In other words, there's an enormous godly energy that we can harness when we're physically in bodies. And we'll soon see how we harness that power, the power that is omnipotent, number one. Number two, there's another reason. Because in the world to come, the containers, the vessels, everything is organized in its place. Everything is already is what it is. Things are not mixed. Things are defined. It's already after the procedure of separating good and evil. So everything is set in its place. It would be like, for example, you know, once when a, when a, when a, the earlier you catch a a a a a, a entity before it's developed. It's, it's still very much changeable. You can still go into it and change it because it's not yet de- developed. Once something is already manifest and actualizes itself into its full level of development, then it's fixed and stuck and defined by whatever it is. and You can't change it. The example that is given, one of the example is, is, is the seed that creates a person. So the seminal drop, or the or the fetus in its very very early stage, because it's not yet the hands, the feet, the nails, the the limbs have not yet emerged and set into what it is. According to the Torah, um, even the the um, the gender of the child for for the first forty days, prayer helps to change it. Doesn't sages don't say that the child doesn't have a gender, but you can still it can still it can still switch through prayer. But once things are set after 40 days, it's already reached a level of development where it won't, where it won't change anymore. Things are fixed. Prayer won't help. It's a wasted prayer. It's, let's say you, you, you have a bunch of boys and you want a girl, you can't start praying seven months into the pregnancy. But within the first 40 days, you can pray. Isn't that amazing? Say, well, the doctor will tell you that. That the scientists will tell you that things are decided, it's done. No, no, no. The say say within 40 days prayer will help. If you want a girl, you want a boy. But once the child is brought out and fully developed, it is what it is. It's fixed. It's decided. It is. Besides, if you're living in our crazy world today, where you can decide to be a girl after you're already fully developed and born, and you're here, and now you're a girl, Then you can decide back you're a boy. You can decide whatever you want. Maybe it's because they're, they're really, really tapping this energy that we spoke about that you can, like, flip things around. Unbelievable. But um, all practical, realistic, honest, normal, not crazy, wacky uh, um, world, but in a, then we know what is, is. And uh, a man is a man and a woman is a woman, and that's what it is. So, um, but at an early stage, you can still change it. So here's the thing. Our physical world is raw material. It's mixed good and bad. Everything is mixed. And therefore, in this world, things that things not developed, even something that is, might have been on its way to emerge as something very, very ugly and dark, can reinvent itself and turn around. Because it's still in this in this undefined state. Once every once we enter into the spiritual zone, that's already a world where there's things are no more in potential. Things are no more in their things have already grown in. It's the it's a certain maturity. It's a certain developed state. And wherever you developed yourself as, as that's what it is so both from the from the from the perspective of the, the matter the material and also from the level of the energy the divine energy that's in it there is the difference between gashmi's the go world and spiritual world of why things can be moved around down here, and they can't be moved around in in the upper realms. On that Indian, let me see if I'm going to read to you a little bit from here, because I don't want to go yet into the next piece, but I will share with you probably from here. Let's see, that Indian is discussed over here. Had a better. I told you earlier that I might reach from you over here in the You know what? Let me let me read from the original Mimer that we learned a few years ago. I just want to you hear a little clearer this idea, because I'm going to leave it over here. I don't want to go further yet because I want to leave that for. Uh, I just want I want this idea to be very clearly understood so that next week when we continue on, that in this world you can do mitzvahs, you can't create anything new. Then this is where we create reality. And this is on page 150 in Kuti Torah, page before where we're learning now. Um, it, of a year, it's given free will to a person, to choose good. And not only that, even if a person sinned already, as long as you're alive, you can turn yourself around. You can turn to serving God. So much so that the Sages say, Rebbe Laza bin Derdaya was a sinner. He sinned every sin in the world, and the last minute, he flipped himself over completely, and a, a heavenly voice went out and said that he's 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 fitting for the world to come. He literally radically transformed himself completely an hour before he passed away. The only problem is no one knows when they're going, so that's why the sages say they got to do tshuva every time, every day. Person has no free will as you were in the condition that the person was in this world, that's how a person stays in the world to come. Here's the question. In the world to come is a world where there's no more concealments. So you see godliness clearly. So if you're in a bad space, if you're in an unholy state, so why can't you change there? You're seeing God's truth, so you can say, I am now. The consciousness can change and say, I am now devoted to God. I want to be a devoted servant to God. I want to connect to him. I know God's truth. It doesn't help. He says, even though you see, the yeser says, even though you see clearly the truth, and over there you see how everything is nullified to God and that everything is surrendered to him. You see a world completely connected to its source, not like the illusion of this world where, you can, where a person can convince himself that there's no creator and just believe in science. That's the way God created this world, that a person can utterly disregard a creator. But in that world, there's no concealing. Everything is so clear. You have eyes, you see the truth. Even the unholy that exist in the spiritual worlds, the clip is the shells on the other side, they're in a state of nullification over there. They call God the God of gods, which means they too are surrendered to God. Nevertheless, the person doesn't have any ability, self-control. from To take one's soul out from its connections and imprisonments of the body that the body left upon it. And the animal soul's powers that have encircled the godly soul that is drawn after them in this world. What does that mean? It's a very, very difficult thing to hear, but that's just the truth. So it's good to know the truth, you know. Um, sometimes we people say ignorance, ignorance is bliss, but ultimately, it doesn't do us too well. So what he's saying is that if a person, for instance, has spent a lot of energy in this world pursuing unholy stuff, and in their head and in their mind and their imagination, they're very deeply entrenched in a lot of dark, unholy stuff. And you say, okay, you know, this is a world where there's a lot of stuff. And over here, these things might look to be appealing and pleasurable and meaningful and so forth. When they leave this world, even though they're a soul and they appreciate absolutely the truth of the divine, they can't help but continue thinking these ridiculous unhealthy thoughts and even though they know how utterly ridiculous it is because they're in a world of truth they still can't free themselves from those thoughts and there it's the most insanely painful thing because you know how you're you're how you're obsessing over something that is utterly laughable and utterly whatever but you still can't pull yourself out of it because God forbid a person stuck them for that there is that the long process we discussed over there of therapy in heaven that they help the soul get out of it but that takes enormous amount of incredible purging and cleansing but until then the soul is lost in its in its in its ridiculous imaginations like a person knowing deliberately that they're hallucinating and they know that everybody around them sees they're hallucinating, but they cannot get out of their hallucination and they can't get out of their, it's its, it's a very sad state. That's one of the purifying experiences that there is in the upper world. That the person is being thrown in one of the therapeutic cleansing processes, which is very dark and very painful, enormously painful, is that a, a soul in heaven is cast cast into their their uh, ludicrous addictions back that they were addicted to in this world while they're really a spiritual being and they know it's nothingness. Um and obviously that makes the soul be enormously ridiculed. But it's not ridiculed by anybody. They're being ridiculed by themselves because they can't get themselves out of something that they know is utterly meaningless. The person has some kind of a weird experience. It suddenly feels like you are physical in this world. And the person is continuing to think and speak and you're speaking all this foolishness and all this but now being that the soul is really a soul not in a body it knows how horrifically insane it is and yet it can't it can't stop it he says a, a pretty frightening thing because thought speech and action which are three garments, that that a person garbs themselves in this world because we can choose what we're gonna think, we can choose what we're gonna say, and we can choose what we're gonna do. So if we choose not the best thoughts and not the best speech and not the best actions, they end up being a garment that traps the soul in in those thoughts. And they become filthy garments, to the world to come. So it's like a person has this crazy enjoyment of wearing like ridiculous pajamas or ridiculous kind of garments. That okay, they they're alone and they're in their own world and therefore they love it. But imagine if they like can't remove it when they're like in the presence of like everybody and they just can't remove it. That they know how utterly insane it is, but they're still stuck with it. And it's 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 a frightening thing but we're talking about something much deeper than just PJs um, these thoughts are still enclothing the soul from head to toe they just say that if a person is engages in a forbidden relationship that that person that they were engaged with comes along with them in the, in the future world they can't rid themselves from that from that um from that woman if it's a man and in that world it's they realize how utterly devastating it is but yes they're still clinging to this to this spiritual demon of a woman that's the same woman but on some spiritual level but that's not leaving it leaving the soul alone like he wants to be done with her but she's still hanging out on him and no matter what he tries he can't dismiss her that that's the idea and it's a person who's a prisoner and he can't, he can't free himself. He's stuck in it. In you need, you need outside help to do that. And when the angels come to help undress the soul, it's very painful. That the others have to remove the filthy garments. It can't be done by the soul. But in our world, we can divest ourselves from all kinds of schmutz and sh- 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 klipa and whatever it is, we can do it we have an ability to change ourselves and decide and 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 with the decision of i don't want it anymore and i want to change a person could do chula. the time and what's the reason of the difference between this world and the world to come because in the world to come, same idea we discussed earlier, I just want to use the, the, more, the words that he's using over here, every single thing is organized. The world to come is a very organized world. There is nothing that doesn't have its set place. Shekol madregu mvdelas Everything is already, like we said before, once the fetus is born, the fingers are the fingers, the nails are the nails. You can't make from your nails nose and you can't make from your nose nails. Each part of the body is already fully developed. Um, And therefore, in the cosmic scheme of things, there is malachim, the angels are one level. The shamis, our souls are a different level. The shamis, the kedusha, the holy souls. And in general, the angels and the holy souls are living in a holy camp in a holy environment and the evil and unholy is living in a very dark place there's no inter inter um, interchanging happening when in if sense, even correspondent happening between those who are living in that in the, in in in, in, in residents of that realm and those that are the residents of the other realm and therefore, in a place that is dominated by the dark forces, goodness doesn't come there, And they remain stuck in those darknesses, even though they know the truth. That's the pain of being in the dark place. When you're in the dark place in a world where you're not in the physical, you know that it's, it's, it's a lie. You know it's a deception. You know it's a... And there's nothing more painful to be stuck in a deceptive reality that you that you know is not true but you can't rid yourself of it it's it's, it's it, the agony of it is not is not it's indescribable which isn't the case in this world in this world here's the thing even a place that right now is very dark even if a person is in a very very dark and unhealthy place and stuck with a lot of klipa, from that very place you can decide to bring holy energy into you and by doing a mitzvah, to bring it and, and and hold on to the mitzvah, and pick yourself up from the darkness and swing into the world of holiness. And that's the magic of this world. Why? Because over here you can draw down good even in the midst of darkness. gam she'yashra. A person can draw good down even in the place where there is where there is evil. Even if a person did a, a sin, yachalas mitzvah. A minute later, you can go do a mitzvah. But the point over here is not to do a sin and then go do a mitzvah. The point is that once you get out of the darkness, make sure to clean up the sin. Say, you know what? I regret it. I don't want to do that anymore and I want to be in a better place. The Yahu Lashana says, "Tommy, a person can change himself, miralato, from bad to good. And then he goes on to explain the reason for this itself, why there you can't change and here you could change is because there it's, we spoke earlier it's the light of Hashem that's already in a state of revelation and every revelation requires an appropriate vessel so everything is matched the lights every every level is already fully fit to whatever energies are flowing to it but in our world number one there's still things are not yet developed down here number two In our world, we don't bring, we don't access the revealed lights. We access the infinite, higher infinite potential. And on that light, first of all, it doesn't. The vessels don't have to match, because that light there was no vessel for it to begin with. So God just gave us access through the mitzvahs to connect to that light, and therefore it it it, there is no discrimination. Are you worthy? Are you not worthy? Are you ready? Are you not ready? God gives us everything down here because this is the world of choice. So it's an enormous idea and appreciation of how precious it is to be alive. Now we'll understand a lot better next week, Bezrat Hashem, of like how this is really a historical process. This mixture and this energy that 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 helps helps um, define right and wrong and separate was once the reality of all levels that means the entire cosmos even the spiritual worlds were once like our a mixture of good and unholy and this enormous powerful infinite light that can go anywhere was accessible everywhere, but in the when I say once upon a time, was in the pre-creation stages. The when God created initially, He already did this sorting out of good and evil. This whole process of cleansing and purification was was immediately done instantaneously by by the creative life force. And that energy, that is this potent energy, rushed through all worlds and separated already, good and evil. And that was happened even before, like, the physical world was created. And then when, when, when the final stage of creation was created, which is our physical world, you know what the physical world is? The last pile of stuff that we're not yet cleaned. In other words, this enormous process of sor- sorting, sorting energy. kind of brought about all these worlds and all these chambers the bright side the dark side everything and then there's one last heap one last little little which is the leftover now once things are sorted out that incredible potent energy that is the that is what sets right and it it's interesting what puts things into the side that it can receive godliness or puts things into the side that is disconnected from hashem that sorter that powerful energy um has the ability while it's active based on the recipient based on the choice to 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 metamorphosize something take it from here to the total opposite and it can do it it has no limit but that energy is only god only provides that from that high place only for the purpose of it's almost like it's it's an energy that's part of the creative, the creation of the cosmos. And this sorting process is part of the creation. But When we get down, and therefore the only place that's still left to be determined if it's, if it belongs to this side or to that side, holy or unholy, connected to God or, the only place left is the lowest form of existence and that's the material physical world. That's where there is still room for the, for the, and that's why the only place where this very infinite light called the Soviv Kallalmen, which can, is only accessible still in only in one in one realm in the soul when the soul is in the body. Mashiach's world is what. Once we finish refining this world, then things are again set. Even the and whoever didn't make it into holiness by the time Mashiach comes is out. Whatever did make it into the realm of the holy is in. Is in to what? Into ready for the messianic revelation. That's also what gives us an an incredible inspiration to realize that how as much as life is important throughout all of history. Because, again, being alive in the physical was always amazing. Not amazing, but super important, if you could say. And amazing, too. But it's um, like a million times now because it used to be that if a soul messed up, one of its abilities is is to reincarnate and come back again to to, to set itself up. But now, we're the last run. There's no more incarnation because what the Rebbe said, we've already finished all the purification. The world is kind of, everything is already defined. So if you want to, we have last seconds left to move things around from here to there. Literally seconds left. So if you want to get in, we shouldn't. We shouldn't leave it for another second. That's the point. Now, because Mashiach is already a world where the physic, our physical world, will join in the world of Mashiach. Our physical world will already be after its purification, and it will already join the system that we spoke about as in the upper world. We're what. We're, that's why it says for example converts are not accepted after Mashiach comes also we know another amazing thing after Mashiach comes we know the law is going to be like Shammai not like Hillel, because Hilal is kindness Shammai is strictness and in that world everything is everything has to be set. so we're going to pay, take on the strictness of Shammai no more of this you know uh, easy shortcuts so Hilal gives us a lot of like so as long as we can still have seconds before that we got to utilize it. Okay. Notwithstanding all of that, we want Mashiach now. Okay. Next week, we shall continue in the third base on English.